Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today's going to be a fun show. Um, It is a testament to, (laughs) it's like that uh, saying, you know, you never know how strong a woman is. A woman is like a tea bag. (laughs) You never know how strong she is until she's in hot water. Uh, That is a perfect description of my guest today. Gloria Squitero. She is the only first lady um, banned from City Hall while her husband was still in office as the mayor. And that was in Kansas City, Missouri. And she is the author of a new book called May Cause Drowsiness and Blurred Vision, The Side Effects of Bravery. So we'll call today's show, Does Bravery Have Side Effects? Then it might not be, might not be what you're thinking. So welcome to the show, Gloria. Thank you so much for having me. And I went to your website, of course, and I love what I initially read there that, you know, it seems like through the stories and the media it, that society is spiraling out of control because that's what it sure seems like me too. Yes, absolutely. Well, now, um, before we uh, get into the main part of your story and, and the main part of your book and so on. Um, let's go back. You know, I always ask people, especially people who have written books, to talk about who they were before the book. Uh, in other words, like, you know, as a psychiatrist, um, <laughs> tell us a little bit. We're both, from what I've read, um, I understand that you are from New York City, too. So can we start back there so people understand how you got from there to here? Yeah, so I grew up in a little town on Long Island, and um, my father was a roofer there and got lured uh, out to Lake Havasu City. Uh, It was like a planned community, and so he went there um, when I had just finished my freshman year of high school, and um, that was pretty traumatic, but basically... You know, as a girl, I grew up in a New York Italian family where girls didn't matter. Certainly, we didn't have a voice, and I think that created um, a lot of anxiety for me, especially in my early 20s. It was pretty debilitating. So now, I'm, you know, a born and bred New Yorker, and I I went to to, uh, the State University of New York at Stony Brook, so Long Island, and I don't know Mm -hmm. what Lake Havasu City is. Where is, is that? Is, is that on Long Island or is that, where is no, that? No, no. Um, yeah, so it's actually in Arizona. So we moved from oh. New York to the desert uh, of Arizona. Uh, it's where they put the London Bridge. I don't know if you remember that back in the early 70s. But they dismantled the London Bridge, the famous London Bridge, and moved it to Lake Havasu City, Arizona. Okay. <laughs> I was wondering if you meant uh, all the way from New York to Arizona. Okay, and what was traumatic about that? Well, so my family growing up was pretty crazy. Um, I had my basic needs met, but not my emotional needs. In fact, I feel like I mothered my mother, not the other way around. And so um, when I went to seventh grade, all of a sudden, I made a lot of friends and didn't realize that those friends lived right around the block from me, and that became my family. And, you know, so I had three years of a family, um, and then, whoosh, we go to the middle of Uh the desert where my father, who does not like the heat, uh, reestablishes his roofing business and, of course, you know, can't tolerate the heat. So then he opens a fish market in the middle of the desert with no ocean. Um, and so we're driving to Las Vegas every week 
to get fish for people that don't even live in Arizona. I mean, nobody lived there. So we made it there a gestation, nine months, and then we headed to Florida. So that's what was traumatic is that I left that family that I had for three years, you know, had had finally felt uh-huh. I belonged somewhere and that I mattered. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Okay. And then you moved to Florida and... Went to three different high schools. So I went to four different high schools total. Um, and then uh, after that, um, I, I don't know if you remember, I don't know how old you are, but the Back to Land movement in the 70s. Um, and so my brother, one of my older brothers, bought land there. And I went back to New York every summer, um, you know, even in high school. But then I also visited him in West Virginia, too, and fell in love with it there. Um, I think that was the first time I was ever alone with myself. And the mountains kind of gave me strength and energy and a confidence like I never knew I had. And it was it actually worked out really well for me. So my mother didn't like me um, actually living there, so she made me come back through guilt to uh, Florida, went back there for a short time, decided, oh, the only way to get away from her guilt-free was to go to college. So I enrolled in college in West Virginia, and that's where I met my husband, Funk, who we will be married this year, 40 years. Well, yes, I was. I I saw his background was West Virginia. I was waiting for that part of the story. Did you, so? Did you meet in college? He was a professor teaching at the college that I was attending. He wasn't my professor, um, okay. but he's six foot eight. And back then, in the seventies, they didn't really make tall man's clothes, and so he wore his father's uh, chemical company uniform. So I thought he was a janitor. And, you know, here's this big six foot eight guy. He's nine years older than me. And Funk and I have always had a passionate relationship. So the first time we ever met, I'm introduced to him not as a professor, but as someone that I know as friend. And by the end of like this very brief first meeting, we got in a fight. um, And it was you know, uh, about something stupid. We saw each other a second time, and he deciphered one of my dreams, and I was kind of impressed. Oh, this guy, you know, he's into, like, you know, the stuff that I'm into, you know, all the feeling and the thinking stuff and what what's the world all about and this and that. And so on our first date, we got into a fight again at the end of it, uh, and this was about how we would raise our children um, I, uh, you know, was smacked around quite a bit by my mom, and I was determined not to raise my kids really in any way as I was raised, including, you know, a backhand. Mm-hmm. I won that fight. <laughs> well, that's good. Um, so yeah. then, but you still went out after that. I you still continued you mean? dating I- after that. So, oh, yeah. I mean, I married the, the dude. Yes. Yeah, so, obviously, you somehow got past all these beginning fights. We got past those beginning fights. Funk is absolutely not what I expected to be with. I, I was picturing myself being with a long-haired, guitar-playing hippie, and Funk was a mountain man um, and very cerebral, uh, that dream he interpreted, that was the first and only dream uh, he's ever done that for. Um, but Funk has always seen something in me that I never saw in myself. And uh-huh. Funk, from the minute that he met me, thought I walked on water. Like, he couldn't stop saying how wonderful I was, how beautiful I was, how vibrant and passionate and was so vocal about it, and, you know, I, I'm a whore for a compliment, and, I, and I'm, I'm with the guy because he gives fantastic compliments and really means it. And uh, in case my listeners are wondering why we're getting into funk 
so much. Uh, that is a large part of the rest of this story. And um, the motivation, or uh, what happened, well, you know, it's a good thing that um, he thought that you walked on water, and it's a good thing that you got together, because obviously both of you um, had a tremendous impact on each other's life. Now, why don't we, can we, I guess, um, I guess the next part of the story is where you moved from West Virginia to Kansas City, is that right? Or was there something um, in between? Yeah, we actually did 10 years in Nashville. And um, so I'm a New Yorker going to the South, and my accent was still pretty strong. And, you know, I wasn't very well liked when I moved there. Plus, they didn't do the whole hippie thing, you know, torn jeans and whatnot. Um, but eventually, I'd say about halfway through, I fell in love with Southern women especially, um, found them every bit as passionate as New Yorkers, um, as loyal, a friend is a friend in the truest sense of the word, um, and actually, you know, they're funny. Um, the women there are tough, tough, tough. And so they were very much like me. They ended up liking me. I liked them. I wanted to stay there. I, I loved Nashville, but I also had my daughter and wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. I've never been a true stay-at-home mom. I always had a side hustle going on. But, you know, I at least could be home with my kids in the daytime, and then my husband could take over at night while I did other things. And so... So that's why we moved to Kansas City. Um, the first job my husband applied for to kind of cover my salary um, to be a stay-at-home mom was in Kansas City. And, and so we moved um, here. I'm currently in Kansas City just, you know, starting this book tour, going back to where it all began, sort of. Um, and at least the mayor's stuff began. Um, but mm-hmm. that's, that's how I ended up in Kansas City. And, um, yeah, so, like, you know, you think of uh, Southern women being tough, uh, like Gone with the Wind and Tara and all of that, Scarlett O'Hara and all of that, Um, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Okay, so now let's get to the park bench outside the car wash where, in a sense, it all began. Yeah, so... That oh, oh, wait, wait, scene. wait. I got, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got ahead of myself. I did want to ask you one thing before we got into the whole mayor thing. Sure. You were a doula. <laughs> yes. Tell us about I, that. You know, what made you do that? And, and um, you know, how do you, how, do, how did you end up? That's not like a typical thing. <laughs> how did you end up doing that? And, and what was that like? Um, so I end up doing things that I never set out to do. They just kind of happened to me. Um, Mm -hmm. and for being a doula and a childbirth educator, a natural childbirth educator, um, you know, starting my own business came from me having two unnecessary cesareans. And so my time in West Virginia, you know, and being a hippie there, grateful dead lover, um, you know, made me want to do, do have a natural birth. I, I saw the benefits of having a natural birth, and I'm kind of like an earth mother anyways and connected to, you know, spiritually connected to the earth and the universe, I feel. And so I wanted a natural birth, and really, long story short, is that my husband was six foot eight. They took a look at me. I'm five foot four. I'm two weeks overdue, and so back then, a woman who was pregnant, every single uh, OBGYN visit, you'd have uh, a vaginal exam. And so two weeks overdue, they discovered all of a sudden that, you know, my opening was too small for, you know, this, you know, six foot eight baby to come out, right? And and so uh-huh. without even going into labor, a trial, they they I had a cesarean. I believed what they told me, um, that I would have died, the baby would have died, uh, had I tried it naturally. 
until uh-huh. I got pregnant the second time and desperately wanted a VBAC, a vaginal birth after cesarean, started reading about how to do that and discovered that everything that I went through with that first pregnancy was what led me down the path of, become, of having a cesarean, an unnecessary cesarean. And so I just made it my mission to help other women not be sliced open, which is very, you know, it's, it's major abdominal surgery. We, we don't really realize that because I think we're brainwashed otherwise into thinking that it's more dangerous to give birth naturally than via a knife. Um, but the statistics don't play that out. So at any rate, I became kind of a renegade in the field, uh, in the birth field here in Kansas City, unintentionally, because I'm actually shy by nature. And, you know, that's, that's where that started, becoming a voice, not just for women, but for couples. And, you know, they couldn't really speak for themselves to an authority in the hospital and that's why they hired me to be their voice. And I was terrified, mm. too. But I was unwilling to not speak up um, and fight for them, really. Um, uh-huh. I just didn't want anybody to go through what I was had gone through. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, and, of course, that um, foreshadows, you know, all of this speaking up foreshadows what happened next. And... Um, so we'll take a break now because this is sort of a natural place to uh, end and we'll start again on that park bench um, where this whole uh, race to the mayor's office began. And my guest again is Gloria Squitero. She is the only first lady in America to have been banned from uh, City Hall while her husband was still in office as the mayor of Kansas City, Missouri. So stay tuned. And again, her book is called May Cause Drowsiness and Blurred Vision, The Side Effects of Bravery. So we'll be right back and stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking to you today about does bravery have side effects? Wink, wink. Um, You wouldn't think that uh, bravery would have bad side effects, but um, indeed, (laughs) indeed, 
My um, guest is called, his name's Gloria Scutero. Her book is called May Cause Drowsiness and Blurred Vision, The Side Effects of Bravery. I love that title because, you know, oh. you, read the, you read the main title and you're thinking, huh, what may cause drowsiness and blurred vision? And then side effects of bravery. Bravery has side effects. Altogether, very intriguing. So when we left, we left you and your husband, um, Mr. Funkhauser, also called the Funk, uh, on a park bench outside a car wash in Kansas City, Missouri. So take it from there. All right. So this is um, three weeks before going on um, a dream of mine. I had always wanted to go to Europe. Um, I had become very anxious person, and but I was, and so I had stopped flying, and so apparently. It was just around then that they opened up transatlantic ship crossings again. And so we, uh, I, I approached my husband. He had been wanting to write this book that included research around the world. And so I approached him one day and said, hey, I have a great idea. And, and he usually, you know, like, is horrified when I have ideas. They cost him more time and money than he has. And I'm like, but no, this one, we could get a grant and you could go to Europe and take time off of work. And, you know, and I'm going on and on and on. And then, I, you know, the punchline was, and we're coming with you. Well, we won mm-hmm. that grant and um, I was in the middle of packing for this summer long trip and battling my own fears. I'm a homebody, uh, and I was afraid to leave home, even though this was a dream. So I'm battling all that, and in the middle of that, we're sitting on a park bench outside the car wash, and I take out my to-do list. I always have a to-do list, and I'm like, Funk, like, we've been going around and around about this. Now is the time to decide, are you running for mayor or are you not? Because if you're running... I've got to get a few things in place for you, um, such as the venue to kick off the event and things like that, or else by the time we got back, it would be too late to secure anything. Um, Uh And so we decided, sitting there, that yes, he would, called our kids, got their blessing. Yes, they were fine. It's like, you know, who cares what you do? Um, And and that's where it was all decided, such a major decision three weeks before we're leaving. He was the city auditor at the time, right? He was a very much beloved city employee. He was a city auditor. The media made him into some kind of superhero um, because he had the backs of regular folks. He was one of the few people that was unafraid to stand up to the city council and kind of make the city start working uh, the way it's supposed to be run, you know, to run a government for the people. And so the media just exalted him here, and yes, so he was the city auditor of Kansas City for 18 years prior to making this very momentous decision. Uh-huh. Okay. So go ahead. Um, so you went so, on this trip to Europe, and? Um, so we went on the trip to Europe, and uh, right before we left... My father, who had Alzheimer's for probably six years by then, about three days before we left, collapsed. And so I'm thinking the trip is off. And, but then the next day, he recovers miraculously. And, and we're going. And I am so terrified of going at this point that my entire body is shaking. And I'm trying to think of ways that I could get out of going. Um, and I couldn't see a way to get out of it. So what I did instead is go in my backyard and kind of do a little ritual for myself. I don't know what made me think of it, um, but I kind of stood in this firing that my son had built for me a long time ago, put petals, rose petals inside it, and basically prayed for the strength to go on this trip, and kind of while I was at it, to, you know, ask spirit to help me grow up, to 
to, to walk off that boat a new and better me, meaning a more carefree, uh, vibrant person I, that I believe I came into this world to be. And it basically, you know, it, it wasn't any crashing symbols when I walked off that boat, but I was like fine in Europe, <laughs> like much finer than I ever imagined I'd be. And I actually feel like had I not gone on that trip, had I not prayed, done that ritual, um, asked to become a new and better me, that I could have never withstood what happened in the mayor's office to me. Okay. And so when you got back, you started um, really rolling up your sleeves and getting into managing your husband's campaign for mayor. Well, I wasn't supposed to do that. So the thing was, he asked me, you know, so he's a Mr. Goody Two-Shoes. I'm Italian. I'm a woman. Like... I'm a schemer, not not in a bad way where I'm ripping anybody off, but, like, I'm a planner, and I don't let logistics get in my way. Like, you don't have money for something, find money, so find a grant. Um, he's running for mayor. He's not part of the establishment. No one backing him. So how do we, you know, start a campaign? But at any rate, this was a simple request from a husband to a wife. Hey, you know, I can't run for mayor while I still have my job at City Hall, so can you find a campaign headquarters for me? And, you know, it's supposed to take a day, a week at most. And so what happens is it took months because you don't just find a place, a physical location. You've got to, you've got to like, equip it with desks and tables and chairs and printers. And so I did all that stuff for him. And... I was supposed to, so he quits on a Friday and is going to have this announcement press event on, a month, on the following Monday, at which time I would bow out and go back to my own life. And instead, he has the press event, it's packed, and, you know, they came in, they stayed an hour, they left, we're sitting there, just my husband, me, and his longtime secretary from the city auditor's office and we're eating lunch and we're trying to process like this huge thing that just happened when the phone rang and I got six lines set up for him thinking you know well it's a it's a business you need more than one line and before you know it every line was lit up and they never stopped ringing really for the duration of the entire campaign but at that point, he didn't have the first volunteer. Nobody knew he was running. So instead of bowing out that day, I sat down and started answering the phone. And one thing led to another. And, yes, I became, without any political experience whatsoever, no interest in politics whatsoever. I'm an earth mother. I became his campaign manager by default. Um, it turns out he had caught it. Funk, Funk and I both draw really weird people to us. I don't know what it is about us, but it's the fringe of society that is kind of in our orbit. And, you know, we, he kind of cobbled together this really ragtag team of super creative people, really weird, really <laughs> needy, but super creative, and we worked really well together. And I became good at something that I had had no idea was even in me. Um, and so we basically went on to win an election, uh, a complete nobody, funk, populist, um, you know, is now the mayor of the 30th largest city in America. And funk felt like a large part of why he ran. Um, I always considered him the product and his team and I, were, were the ones, you know, getting him discovered. And Funk feels like a lot of the reason why he won is because I wrote a campaign newsletter every week, sent it to his supporters. 
and he wanted me to write it in the same way that I used to write out Christmas letters to family, which was <laughs> incredibly newsy truth, like about our family. So instead of, you know, oh, the kid's graduating with honors, it's like, oh, my daughter got a divorce, you know, after three months of marriage. <laughs> I'm that frank with things. Um, uh-huh. And so I did that. I, I wrote the newsletter it was incredibly popular, just like my husband predicted it would be. And so the morning after the, the general election, we're sitting on our couch for the first time really in six months. And, you know, he's like, I, I want you to keep writing the newsletters. And I'm like, Funk, how would I do that? Like, I'd have to be there to see what's going on to write about it. And he's like, yeah, I want you to come up to the 29th floor with me. And I'm like, no way. Like, buddy, this was supposed to be one day, then it turned into six months, and now you want four, four well, at the time I thought eight years. Um, but in fact, I did become good at something. Those people that ran the campaign with us, uh, the Corps went to the mayor's office. It was the hardest, I mean, it was the most tiring thing I had ever done being a part of that campaign, but exhilarating and fun. And, you know, my husband got an opportunity to do a whole lot of good for a whole lot of people, and not many people get to do that. So I agreed to go there with him, and and that's, that is where the third book begins, <laughs> basically. How did this beloved city employee, city auditor, 18 years, exalted in the media, how is he toppled four months later with pseudo-scandals? Um, and that's book three. Well, no, wait a second, but when you say toppled, um, I thought, wasn't he the mayor for four years from 2007 to 2011? Yes, he was. And, but by toppled, I mean, you know, the media put him up on a pedestal. And uh-huh. when you're up that high, it's a really long, long way down. Uh-huh. And basically, you know, they, for some reason, I don't. I can't. I still can't wrap my head around this part. They loved him for what he was—a change maker, fearless—that he stuck to his guns. And comes to find that the media is part of the establishment, and so they thought they dictate to him how he was going to run the city. And mm. Funk doesn't let people dictate to him. Funk does what he sets out to do, and he keeps his promises. And he was keeping his promises to his constituents. So, you know, to get at him, to make, you know, he kind of slid in under the radar. Nobody in Kansas City gets elected. Uh, like, like it, it's almost arranged, an arranged marriage. Well, Funk slid in under the radar. They thought he was pretty irrelevant. And so they didn't see what we were seeing out in the field. We knew he was going to win. So he gets in, and now they're going to make sure he doesn't have eight eight years, basically. Uh, And and that was the part of the toppling. And so how do you topple a beloved city employee? Well, the way they did it was I, I got put in the crosshairs. Um, and, yeah, and, and that's how gonna, I got we're, my... We're, yes, and we're going to get into all of that, which is a very amazing story. Um, if Funk's, uh, I love Funk's campaign slogan, which maybe you wrote, which is, a city that works for regular folk. That was his slogan. <laughs> did you write that? My God, I tried so to turn his head against that because it seems like it should rhyme and it doesn't like the kids (laughs) and I are sitting at the dining room table and he's like, I have my slogan. And like, we're all like (laughs) waiting for the punchline. Like what's the rest of the rhyme? And there was nothing. No, that was all my husband actually. Well, it worked. Whatever. (laughs) It worked. People absolutely responded to it. And um, so when we come back, um, we're going to be talking about this toppling, and um, as Gloria was saying, the toppling actually came through her. I guess you were, what, the weakest link or the way that, uh, I don't know, you'll have to explain how, why they picked you. 
But um, yeah. but let me just say before before the break, let me just say that this book, Gloria's book, uh, may cause drowsiness and blurred vision, the side effects of bravery, was written um, as she will tell us more about as we in the next segment to help people get over their anxiety to go after their dreams. <laughs> get over their anxiety. We've heard some examples of how she's been doing that all her life, basically, and go after their dreams. So that is the, that's where we're going, and we're going to be uh, getting there by way of Scandal, a, a soap opera. Gloria, I was reading all about it, and it's like a soap opera, but it's, but it's a true soap opera. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest today is Gloria Squatero. She is the former First Lady of Kansas City. Her uh, book is called May Cause Drowsiness and Blurred Vision, The Side Effects of Bravery, uh, the first book in a series, and uh, first memoir, I should say. It's her story that we've started hearing about, and now we're kind of getting to the scandal part. She was the First Lady from 2007 to 2011 after managing her husband's the funk campaign for mayor. Um, and and there she and they got to be mayor and first lady and then it the toppling started as you know as uh, because they were a surprise to the establishment not unlike what is happening today with uh, Trump presumably so tell us about um, how long how long was the honeymoon in the uh, mayor's office how long were things going well um, they never went well. Um, we never got one second to savor that victory. Um, we walked out of the general election um, watch party. Um, my husband walked out mayor at 2.30 in the morning. He got his first uh, call um, from national media, and it never stopped from there. Um, you know, I believe it was probably the next day that the newspaper that exalted him for 18 years was, you know, basically already treating him like a politician, um, you know, a scathing politician. The newspaper here loved to diss politicians. And so now Funk went from being a government employee to a despised politician. And so it started mm. instantly. 
Okay. And then um, let's get to when it started about you, how everything, you know, I guess it's a lot more fun <laughs> in, uh, I'm being facetious, but to yeah. um, try to tear apart the first lady than, um, than an 18-year city auditor. It seems like there would probably be more, uh, more dirt that one could find, more scandal with the first lady than with an auditor. I think, you know, um, how could, you know, how could the newspaper, if I'm thinking like them, you know, how are we going to say for 18 years what a model guy this is and then say how horrible he is. And mm-hmm. so they had to find something. And so one of the, they did start on him to begin with. It wasn't me right away. Um, they, they basically, Funk was going to do things exactly the way things were not done in Kansas City. So all the fancy board positions and whatnot, in Kansas City, the, the most uh, elite board you could be appointed to was the Parks Board for, for God only knows what reason, why that's so, you know, sought after. Mm-hmm. And so normally the rich are on that board, and he's going to put everyday folks on there that actually know something about flowers. And uh-huh. um, that was the first problem. So they're destroying him in the newspaper because one of the people that he appointed was they they dug it up we didn't know this at the, you know when funk appointed her but it turns out she is a member of the minutemen i never even heard of the minutemen until this story broke in the newspaper well funk survives that scandal he, he survives another one and another one his approval rating is 68%, which I thought was like in the gutter, like 68%. Uh-huh. It should be like 95 but apparently it's the highest it had ever been in Kansas City for any elected official. And, you know, so, so they had to find a different way, and that way was through me because, you know, in my world, um, the Inquisition really isn't over, and it's much easier to go after a woman than, than it is a man, and a, a very well-respected man at that. And so that's how I got in the crosshairs. Okay, so tell us about that. Mammy Gate, it was called. Yep, so, so the whole, this sounds so stupid, actually, to describe that. But during the campaign, you know, um, I become the campaign manager by default. Funk has no money. There's a million volunteers. And, you know, the only way for us to show our appreciation was through words, by thanking people, spending time with people, um, you know, doing just the normal gracious things you would do with like company at your house. That's all we had to give. And so my thing was um, to not only the volunteers, but that I asked of the volunteers that, you know, funks representing regular folks and regular folks haven't been respected very well. And so I want the volunteers to answer the phone and not, use the person's first name. I wanted them to say Mr. and Mrs. I wanted them to say yes, ma'am, no, sir. And so the other way of not rewarding the, the volunteers but showing gratitude was being playful because it was so exhausting, the campaign. So Funk's secretary, the long-term secretary, quit a job at the auditor's office to work full-time on this campaign as a secretary, white, white woman, funk hatter, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years, the whole time he was the city auditor. I remember Dottie being there. And so it's Dottie and I, and Dottie's really shy. And to bring her out of her shell, I would joke around a lot, and I'd call her every name except for her own name. And I, you're a New Yorker. We have nicknames for everybody. Well, they don't do that here in the Midwest. So Dottie, to me, became Dots, 
and then it became Dotsy Watsy, and then, you know, Mm -hmm. when it got really, really busy in the campaign, there was no time for anything, so, you know, we'd be handing off stuff, and she'd eventually had to suck it up herself and give me orders, right? Because you, you got, it's like minute to minute, moment by moment in a campaign. And so she'd hand me something, give me a direction, and I'd say, yes, ma'am. And yes, ma'am became yes, mammy. And, and it went that way. And it went that way for everybody. And so apparently I forgot myself in the mayor's office my uh, friend of the family, 15 years, a black woman, um, said something in the mayor's office, and I answered her, yes, mammy, get right on it, and that was the scandal. I was a racist. I called her mammy, and, wow. you know, to, to say it, it sounds unbelievable, and I realize that, so I know that that sounds kind of like lame, but that is uh, what happened from my point of view. So this woman was named Ruth Bates, and she filed a lawsuit complaining of sex and race discrimination. And yes. um, now, did she, and she, you said she was a family friend for 15 years? Yes. And so, you know, Funk calls me into his office when this EOC com- complaint was filed. And he calls me into his office, shuts the door, and he throws this complaint across the desk. I, I don't, I'm not a government person. I had no idea what the EOC complaint meant. But I'm reading it, and I'm seeing like 68 charges against me, and I'm like laughing because this is Ruth. This is, you know, the woman that sat at my Thanksgiving table a million times. I was at my New Year's Day parties, my kids' birthday parties. We were on the soccer field together at our kids' matches every Saturday. This is Ruth, and, like, this is just a joke. Ruth and I joke around all the time. This is a joke. And Funk's like, Gloria, this is no joke. This is serious. And it turns out it was serious. And so I don't remember how it happened that we had to visit with a lawyer. And the lawyer looks at me, and he's like, listen, you're probably one of those people that believe that the courts dole out justice, and I'm here to tell you that they don't. You've got to settle this thing. She wants 30 grand. You've got to settle. And before he'd ever got those words out, I was like, never. And he kept trying to talk, and I'm like, never. And I was getting louder and louder because there was no way I was going to say that I did something when I didn't do something. And I knew it, and... Go ahead. Well, I just want to, because I'm worried, I'm looking at the clock and we don't have much time left. Yeah. So do you think sure. that, um, I, I, I know, and I, I know that, um, that part of what you and your husband have come to, you know, when you look back on these years, you, you, neither one of you realized how cutthroat, uh, politics is. And so do you think that Ruth was like the pawn or, you know, was acting for, um, some other politician or to get your husband out of office because so in the end um, he didn't win a second you know, re-election. He didn't win a second four years. Do you think she was that this was just her or that somebody put her up to this to, so, to make sure that your husband wouldn't win a second term? Yeah, um, I think Ruth was a pawn. Okay. Yeah, no doubt in my mind she was a pawn. Well, I guess that does sort of ex- prove how, how cutthroat politics can be. Um, but that was, have you ever, have you been in touch with her after? Like, did you ever, um, you know, did she, was she proud of herself? Was she, I know in the end, even though you did settle and then the city had to, had to settle and she got a lot of money in the end. So do you think, um, do you think she was happy with that? Or do you think that she felt bad that she betrayed you? I don't know the answer to that. All I can say is that, um, you know, had I settled, it would have been thirty grand. Um, but I wasn't willing to do that um, because I don't. I do believe in 
speaking your own truth and telling the truth. Um, I don't know. All I can say to your question is, is if I would have done something that I knew wasn't true, let's, and I'm not talking about Ruth, let's just say I did something or I said something and it wasn't true, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. And I know myself, like I'd be up all night, like I, I wouldn't be able to shake that off. And so mm-hmm. um, either Ruth believes that or she's having a hard time sleeping at night. That's, that's for her and her uh-huh. God to uh, come to terms with. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, where would you like, I want to make sure we get in where you would like to send people um, to, to buy the book. Well, they can find me on Amazon or they can go to my website, which is gloriasquatero.com, and good luck finding that website if you can't spell my name. Um, so maybe Amazon would be easier by looking for Maycore's Drowsiness and Blurred Vision. Well, and let me just spell the name so that people can try to find you. Gloria Squitero, S-Q-U-I-T-I-R-O, S-Q-U-I-T-I-R-O, Squitero.com, right? That's right. Okay, and again, the name of the book is called May Cause Drowsiness and Blurred Vision, The Side Effects of Bravery. Well, I don't think um, any of my listeners have any question as to how brave you have been throughout a a number of challenges, numerous challenges throughout your life, and particularly um, through the campaign and through, you know, living through uh, the scandal and... um, and it's unfortunate that he didn't get a second four-year term because yeah. um, in, in doing my research, it seems to me that uh, he did a lot for Kansas City. And so the two of you can be really proud of bringing fiscal responsibility and fighting crime and all in all making the city a better place. So um, thank you. I thank you. <laughs> you're, you're very welcome. I thank you for all that you've done. I'm sure that you're going to be continuing this legacy with these, uh, this series of three books, of which May Cause Drowsiness and Blurred Vision is the first. So thank you again. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 